0: Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo. here with Peter Flaherty. We're back with another draft podcast on the BA feed. Today is May 18th. It's a Thursday as we record this episode. We're heading into the final regular season of the college baseball calendar. That seems crazy to me. Peter, how are you doing, man? Are you uh, lamenting the, the, the soon-to-be conclusion of the college season?
1: I'm relishing the fact that we've still got one weekend left of regular season baseball. Um, it's crazy, as is with anything that's a lot of fun. You blink and it's over. Mm-hmm. The same goes for college baseball. So while well, the regular season is ending, the excitement's just starting. Is next week we've got conference tournaments, and then we get into regional play, and we'll crown a champion in a little over a month. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: one chapter's ending and another one's starting, so I'm excited for it.
0: Absolutely. This is kind of the buildup to what everyone has been Really looking forward to the the tournament starting the postseason play conference tournaments regionals supers they're about to get rolling, a month away from College World Series about two months away from the draft so um, we've kind of got everything in the past now a lot of people have I mean pretty much shown scouts what there is or what they have available what what they can offer at this point I guess especially for pitchers there's still a decent amount you can still do you can come out hot at the end of the season to really improve your draft stock. But today I wanted to talk um, a few college pitchers. Before we get into that, I'm curious like what you're looking at for this final regular season. I know you have a what to watch for piece on the site that's live right now. If you're listening to this, Peter does this every week, just looking ahead to the weekend and um, kind of examining potential Conference matchups you might need to take a look at or just what's interesting in the college baseball landscape. But is there anything, Peter, that that you're really excited about specifically? And and what are your plans for this weekend?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So when writing this, usually I'll highlight five series or so and, and maybe a little more and kind of bounce around as to why they're significant, both in terms of what it means for each respective team, but also in terms of the draft side of things. I like to talk about the players as well. Um, But this weekend with the last regular season series for so many teams, really for everyone, but unless you're in the Big West, um, I kind of just bounced around from conference to conference in in talking about the tournament implications. So there's really a lot to watch nationwide. I'll be probably tuned in most to Tennessee and South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. You've got three marquee SEC series and you've got a lot of good draft prospects in each dugout for all three of those series. Mm-hmm. And then in talking about the tournament, uh, the ACC, BC, Notre Dame is a really good series. It's kind of like, in my mind, BC's got to win to host. Notre Dame's got to win to stay on to stay barely on the right side of the bubble. The big 12 has been one of the toughest conferences, I think to figure out all year. West Virginia's emerged as a top dog in the class of the conference, but you never know what could happen. They play Texas this week and Texas is third in the conference at 12 and nine. And if they sweep West Virginia, they need a little help from Oklahoma, but there's still a chance they could win the regular season title in the big 12. And then elsewhere, there's a lot going on. We'll have our two first auto bids with the Ivy league and Patriot league crowned champions um and then there are are a couple other conferences like the Sun Belt and Big Ten where two teams are tied for first so a lot going on as usual I'll be bouncing around I'll be probably spamming your Twitter feeds and and blowing it up but the good news is for that is you only got like a month left a little less so uh one one final push and then um and yeah then we we get into selection Monday in a little over a week so
0: yeah, it's uh, it's fun that there are a lot of tight conferences coming down to the wire that makes the last weekend all the more exciting to watch. And when you have so many moving parts and um, multiple different series that can impact like just how, how the season ends for all these teams, it's going to be chaos. Uh, hopefully we get a lot of good baseball this weekend. We've had a lot of good baseball this year. Um, but let's pivot into some specific player talk, get into some draft prospects. Uh, we had mentioned it before recording this episode, like as we were kind of just getting ready, but it does seem like, the more we look into the second tier of college pitchers, really the more question marks maybe we have for the class. I think um, in the last few weeks or so, just having conversations with cross-checkers and directors around the country, um, it's gonna be blown pretty much wide open after this first tier of players overall. Um, I'm personally probably a little bit higher on the high school depth at the moment, just cause I like a lot of the guys. Uh, and it seems like a lot of the high school pitchers in particular have really performed and come out um, really loudly. I don't know if that's necessarily the, the case for the, the college group that we're going to talk about today. And, and I think for this podcast, we'll talk about like borderline first round talents um, and then players that, that we can expect to see late on day one or maybe e- early on day two. I have a few names down here th- that I want to get into, but it does seem like there is a pretty significant drop off from the first tier of college arms to the next. And I think for these purposes, the, the first tier I would consider Paul Skeens very clearly Maybe even into a tier of his own. But beyond that, Chase Dolander, Brett Lauder, and Waldrop. Those guys have pretty much seemed like consistent first round locks throughout the year. And I don't think anyone, even with maybe you could pick apart um, some consistency issues or some results that you wouldn't necessarily want to see from Dolander and Waldrop, like, it seems like those guys are all safe first rounders. After that, I don't know that you have a, an obvious pitcher who you could feel very confident in. In going in the first round, I'm I'm curious. Before we get into the specific players, Peter, if you kind of have the same read on that talent gap and the question marks beyond that that top four group of names.
1: Yeah, and and we had talked about it as you mentioned a bit before we recorded, but it's really it's a really exciting top of the class when you've got Paul Skeens, Chase Dolander, Rhett Louder, Hurston, Like those types of guys. There's a chance that you know Rhett Louder might have the like perhaps the most limited ceiling of, of the, the quartet, but there it's not out of the realm of possibility that each of these four guys becomes a a front end starter with their respective clubs in a, you know, a handful of years, especially Skeens with Skeens is a bona fide ace. I think he's a once in a decade, once in a 15 years type talent. If that um, Hurston Waldrop has the electric stuff, Rhett Louder's got the polish and Chase Dolander is kind of working out his stuff. But what we've seen in the past is we know what he's got in there and it's really impressive. So it's kind of like, you can't really go wrong with those four guys. I think up at the top, that's a, an excellent start to your pitching crop for this year's class. And then looking further, it's kind of like, which am I comfortable taking any of these next arms in the first round and using a first round pick on them and, I wasn't totally convinced. I'm curious your thoughts, but there wasn't a guy like, like with Skeens, Dolander, Louder, Waldrip, without a doubt, not only am I using a first round pick on them, but I'm probably using a top 20 or so pick on, on any of the four mm-hmm. Skeens and, and Dolander and Louder top 10 borderline, but Waldrip top 20. And then other than that, it's kind of like, you know, you could go a number of different directions. And I wonder if teams are going to be conservative with the college arms, they select, Mm-hmm to kind of stack position players early and then you can get a guy maybe like Sean Sullivan even in the third round which I think would be a great I I think that's a if you can get Sean Sullivan in the third or fourth round I think that's a, a a great spot
0: yeah I think just in general the the strategy of taking hitters early and trying to get value with pitchers late has been one that that's been effective for teams in the past guys like Uh, Brandon Fott or Tanner Bybee have have really been impressive and they were fourth fifth round picks Um, and we see that I mean Spencer Strider who maybe is the best pitcher in in Major League Baseball right now um, was a fifth round pick so there are clearly a lot of success stories with arms and just how player development is on the pitching side I think teams just can do a lot more with their arms so in general I think that's a strategy that works really well I think in particular with this class it could wind up looking very hitter heavy after this first tier of arms go, because I just think there's a a really strong group of hitters in the first round. Even if, even if there were stronger pitchers, maybe you could still make the case that you just lean with the hitter early on and there'll be comparable talents on the arm side with your next uh, few picks in the second, third or fourth rounds. But is there a specific name that you feel most confident in after this top four? I have my guy who I really liked coming into this conversation but as I prepped for it, you can also start to poke holes in this player. And I'm, I'm just curious if you have like a, an obvious name for you, who you would go to of this next tier of players that we'll get into. I, I have a guess who it might be, but I'm curious who you think that is right now.
1: So in looking at these guys and kind of prepping for what I thought this question would be, like, I, I, I wanted to go with someone who I felt confident with in their ability to stick as a starter Mm -hmm. Um, with their ability to potentially have an impact at the big league level as a starting pitcher. And so with that, it kind of came down to three names for me, especially like a combination of both present stuff and then future projection. And it was Jerron Watts-Brown, Brandon Sprout, and actually Jackson Baumeister. Okay. Um, I
0: I was going to guess your guy was Brandon Sprout, so I'm happy that he's included in your trio of names. And I'm also happy that my guy, Jerron Watts-Brown, uh is in your trio of names
1: <laughs> well you, you actually guessed my guy right because it's brandon sproat yeah um and that's you in looking at just pure stuff um Sprott has some of the best i think in this year's class there's an argument to be made he's got three plus play- pitches with his fastball that's touched triple digits a, a legit plus changeup, and then a really good off-speed offering so like watching him pitch it's in some days and, and granted this speaks to the inconsistencies I guess and the the floor rotation how they haven't really they all haven't been clicking I guess on, mm-hmm. on one weekend um but there are some weekends where I'll come away more impressed with Sprout than I do waldrip yeah um, and it's just like the fastball explodes out of Sprout's hand it's like he's throwing a like he, it's like he's throwing a blitz ball it it rides and and runs through the zone mm-hmm. and um he pairs that with a really good splitter that split change that just kind of falls off and then yeah you know, something
0: about up. Florida pitchers this year and those split changeups because I know I
1: think I think his is more of a change up than, than, um, than Waldrop's than um split change mm-hmm. um i don't I, I think I mislabeled it but um and then he 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 pairs it again with a couple of really good breaking balls with his curveball and slider so I mean, there is a chance for, you know, Sprott to have four plus pitches down the road. And when thinking about the draft and guys' ceilings, like, you know, how many guys in the draft can you say, you know what, he can have a, he has a legit chance to have four plus pitches in his Mm -hmm. arsenal down the road. And I think the only other guys who fit that mold and, and even with four pitches, it might be a, a stretch for someone like Skeens, um, so I, I think that Sprode is one of very, very, very few arms that fit the, like, four-plus pitches, super high upside type of, type of mold.
0: Yeah, Sprode is, is fascinating. He's really been a conundrum for the industry going back to his high school days. I mean, he was he was a pretty high-profile arm as a prepster, struggled with consistency before he got to college. Then in college, I mean, he struggled with control and command, had a good – 2022 season the Mets drafted him in the third round last year he obviously was one of those prominent players to not sign and come back to campus and and I'd had conversations with scouts for years on SPRO where they say you know if you see him on the right day it just looks like elite stuff top of the rotation kind of arm and then you see him the next day and he just can't hit his spots and the control is erratic and the fastball just for its velocity I mean he's sitting 96 miles per hour with that pitch regularly in the upper 90s I don't think that it's ever played up as high as, as maybe people expect or hope the velocity would play up. It's It, it has more of that running life. Um, you look at, like, the results against the pitch, it's like a 9.03 OPS versus the fastball this spring. So kind of wonder if he, like, maybe just goes to, like, a straight two seam at the next level because he does have such great running movement on his pitch and then compare it really well with the slider and changeup. Um, the changeup is a fantastic pitch. This year, it's 22% usage, 56% miss rate, in a 2.35 OPS against the pitch, which is exceptional. Uh, and I'm glad to see that he's been using it as his, his most common secondary. Um, but I, I do think Sprode is just a polarizing player because of the inconsistency and the command that he just never has really shown over an extended period of time. So, where are you at on the, on his chances to start versus relieve and are you concerned about either the the command overall or the quality of life on the fastball? Because I think those are two of the biggest questions that that I've had from the industry um, in like the last three or four years of covering him.
1: So with Sprout, I think there's definitely some reliever risk. Um, there's a chance that, uh, you know, that neither of his breaking balls really continue to progress that well. And it's kind of like, you've got a power reliever with a fastball changeup that'll kind of dump in
2: mm-hmm.
1: a breaking ball. So I think that that's a little bit of a risk with him. I think also, you know, you mentioned the command and lack of control and it's something he hasn't been able to figure out in his college career. Um, I, I think on the hitter set, like when looking at hitters, I'm kind of under the, the impression of, you know, anyone can be taught to hit for power. Not anyone can be taught to hit. And on the pitcher side in kind of trying to draw a parallel with Sprout, mm-hmm. I think that to an extent you can teach a lot of people to kind of get the most out of their stuff. We can't teach anyone how to pitch. Yeah. And so I think that that, that I think brings a, a little bit of a risk to Sprout and also other arms in the draft and kind of using that mentality. So there is absolutely some risk with Sprout. I think that this is more of kind of an upside play on my end in mm-hmm. terms of the seeing of this batch who has the highest ceiling. Yeah. Um, and then with the fastball, as you mentioned, it's premium velocity, but the miss rate really isn't that high. Like it's running in a sometimes. We've seen in his, some of his poorer starts that it will just kind of like leak over the plate and run right on a guy's swing plane. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think in the right organization and whatever organization drafts him, especially as high as a first or a second round pick, more likely second or third round pick than a first, but whatever organization spends that type of money on him and is that confident to take him early is going to be confident in his ability to start and in his ability to develop that command because no one's going to waste a pick this early on someone they think is going to end up in the bullpen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think your, your comment about the, run of the fastball just running into into barrels at times is a, is a real question mark that I have. Because I do think if the command was sharpened up a little bit, I think that, that fastball life would probably be more effective, more consistently. But he does at times just kind of start it to his glove side and then it runs over the heart of the plate, and that's when he gets in trouble. Um, but the body looks great. I mean, it, the arm works well on the mound. I'm curious if like he'll keep the, the same depth to the arm stroke that he has in pro ball, or if that's something maybe that you can refine a little bit to try to improve the control. Um, but, yeah, no one doubts the pure arm talent with Spro, I think I agree with you that it's probably one of the more impressive just, just pure arm talents in the class. Um, but let's move on to John Watts-Brown, who I think entering the season and early on this spring, I was a little higher on his chance to start. Um, but he's had a higher walk rate this spring than, than Brandon Spro, who I just said I was concerned about his control and command. Um, he's been a little bit more erratic, I think, than, than you would like to see. Uh, right now, he's got a 4.52 ERA after 13 starts, 67.2 innings pitched, 32% strikeout rate, 12.5% walk rate. He does lead the Big 12 with 99 strikeouts, uh, but he's also coming off one of his worst games of the season against Kansas State when he went 4.1, allowed seven hits, six earned runs uh, with one walk and six punches. So what are your thoughts on, on Jerron Watts brown For me... I would say leading up to this this Kansas State start and then diving a little bit more into the numbers, I was pretty convinced that he'd just been a guy who posted consistently, gets a lot of misses. I like the slider. I think it's got a chance to be a plus pitch. Um, I like how he moves on the mound. and I just I was kind of just wondering why more teams weren't considering him in, in the back of the first round range. It seems like he he gets brought up just after the first round pretty consistently. Um, and now I think you kind of see a little bit more of the warts that he has. But where are you at on John Watts Brown? Because he was one of the guys that, that you named as like your three most interesting.
1: Yeah, so coming into the season, I was in your camp of being really excited to watch him. And I'm still excited to watch him on a weekly basis because of the, the talent he brings. But after I saw him on the Cape, I got a couple, of, I got a few really good looks at him. Um, as you mentioned, that slider was a legit plus pitch. Um, he also mixed in a curveball. So, I mean, he's got two distinct breaking balls with each flashing plus. The slider is probably a true Plus, out pitch at this point with the curveball being more of a of a flashy pitch. Um, so he's a so he's a huge swing and miss guy. Um, we've seen it all this year, as you mentioned. He's got the ninety nine strikeouts, um, but again, he's kind of gotten hit around at times. The command has been more erratic than I would have liked, or and I would have hoped. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of. It's interesting. I'm curious to see what teams do because as we mentioned, like as a class or like as a demographic of players thins out, if you want to kind of get a college arm, like Joron Watts Brown, and you don't want to miss on that type of talent. Like maybe he does go in the back end of the first round because mm-hmm. if he's going to be there in the back end of the first or the supplemental round, but not there in the, in the second round, like maybe you do have to reach a little bit to yep. get, you know, your, your premier arm talent in the draft. So I think that along, I think he's probably got a better chance to go in the first round than Sprout does, even though I like Sprout better personally, just, I like the way that Watts Brown moves on the mound. There's projection mm-hmm. remaining. I like his delivery a lot better. Yeah. Um, like he, he has more of that starter look to him than Sprout does. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got some projection remaining with Watts Brown. I think Sprout from a physical standpoint is a bit of a finished product and the tweaks you make are in his arm path and delivery. But mm-hmm. with Watts Brown, you can make him a little more physical and maybe even add a couple ticks to his fastball, which I know he's averaging 91 on the pitch, and it's been effective. He's, his miss rate is actually um, is rather good with the pitch. I think it's above
0: 22%. But Yeah, 23% miss rate.
1: Yeah, so I, I think that um, that's an encouraging sign if you can add a couple more ticks to it. Um, and I think that he is more of a safe bet than a ceiling bet
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: and it, so to speak, like with Sprout, you're betting on the ceiling. Watts Brown, you're kind of just assuming that he can dial in the command a little bit, keep progressing with his pitches, and 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 that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'm with you there on him that he's probably got the best chance to go to go in the first.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see him just really dial it in over the next few weeks, um, and just and just look sharp because when he is commanding the fastball, I think everything else kind of plays up from that. There are times when the fastball command just gets away from him and he kind of sprays that pitch or he gets behind and counts. And then I feel like he he has a great feel for the slider. I think that pitch has actually been his most consistent strike offering. But when he starts pitching backwards and using the slider to get ahead and counts, I feel like it's it becomes less, less impactful of a miss offering. And that's kind of when he gets in trouble, when, when he's just not putting the fastball in the zone. Um, and just using the slider as like his go-to primary pitch. I don't love that. So I'm hopeful that given his athletic engine, given the way he moves in the mound, we both really like his delivery. Um, I just think he's a tremendous athlete. Just watching him infield his position too, he moves really well. He's very kind of wiry and loose. I'm hopeful that that athletic foundation um, in a relatively clean delivery, uh, maybe that can help him just hone in the fastball command a little bit more because I don't think it's terrible control. It's just missing spots at times with the fastball gets him into trouble. I also kind of wish he would throw the changeup a little bit more, but it doesn't seem like he has the best feel for that pitch right now, so I guess fastball slider curveball isn't isn't terrible when he has that sort of feel to spin.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I agree with all of that.
0: So let's get into your third name that you mentioned. It was Jackson Baumeister, uh, the right-hander at Florida State. We have him ranked solidly in the second round range at this point, but what do you like about Jackson? I mean, you know, entering the year he maybe had one of the most outlier pitches in the class with his invisible fastball, but uh, been a pretty solid season for him. What do you think about him?
1: Yeah, I I think um, I think with uh, with excuse me, Baumeister. Um, I think having him ranked in the second round is a good spot for him now. But if there's an arm, I think of this group to maybe surprise some people and raise some eyebrows with where he's selected, it is him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's got. I mean right now he's a two-pitch guy primarily. He's 68% fastball, 17% curveball. And you know, while developing a third pitch and a fourth pitch will be key for him. He's shown flashes of a of a changeup. He's also mixed in kind of a shorter slider, cutter mm-hmm. slider um at times. So I think developing those those third pitches or third and fourth pitches will be key for him. Um but both his fastball and curveball are plus pitches right now. He's been up to 98 with the fastball will sit comfortably in the mid-90s. As you mentioned, it's an invisible fastball, which means, I mean, the shape is excellent in watching him pitch. It rides on this plane, and then it just disappears as, mm-hmm. you know, it crosses the plate, and it's consistently getting over the top of hitters'
0: hands. And Yeah, it's like uh throws. I remember talking with um, Florida State's pitching coach a year ago about what made his fastball so special, and his extension is apparently just – tremendous it's also like a very flat approach angle it's 19 inches or more of induced vertical breaks it's like all the elements you want for that elite riding forcing fastball that just gets a ton of miss he has all of that and that's kind of the the foundational piece for his arsenal
1: it's a bit of a deceptive release height as well and like a a deceptive deliver a deceptive arm action in a sense um which i also think allows him to get that those elite type metrics on his fastball Mm Mm-hmm and then with his curveball it's a bigger pitch in kind of the mid 70s but it's got really sharp downward break um, it's got big depth almost like it's been 12 6 11 5 type shape um, he'll throw it to righties and lefties he's it's a pitch he's really comfortable throwing and he can land it for strikes and it gets a ton of swing and miss i think it's it's miss rate this year is a is right around 50% it might be a tick under but yeah two plus pitches like you got with ballmeister um he's got kind of a, a starter profile with his build and then you know you're you're taking the present presently what he brings is two plus pitches already and you've really got to just kind of develop one other and it's kind mm-hmm. of pick the poison with the slider and change up I personally would shore up the change up mm-hmm. um, and, and get that offering short up but um yeah I I think that he's a he's another good bet to go in those top two rounds Um, I know that there have been some rumblings he could go maybe in that supplemental range. Um, But as mentioned, I think we've got him adequately at 62 right now, but that's another guy that really intrigues me because, you know, as mentioned, you've got the, the present stuff. And then also the chance to, to mold some of the secondaries into potentially really good pitches as well.
0: Yeah. And he's a draft eligible sophomore this year. So he has a little bit more leverage than than most of his peers in this draft class in the sense that he, he could come back, uh, for another college season and still have an extra year. Um, if, if that was a, a concern, if he thinks he can take a step forward, if he thinks that maybe he'll he'll stack up better with next year's class, whatever reason, or if he just doesn't like uh, whatever the, the range of outcomes that he's hearing prior to the draft will be. What do we think about Baumeister's control and command? Because I think with all the pitchers we've talked about so far, there are concerns about control with Jackson He has cut his walk rate quite a bit year over year. It was a 15% walk rate in 2022. It's just under 10% this spring. The ERA has been five or more in both of his years, but his peripherals are quite a bit better this year. Um, He's kind of not pitched as good as you would think, or the results haven't been as good as his peripherals would suggest this year. Where are you at on control command and starter profile with Jackson?
1: So with Baumeister, I'm more... I'm encouraged by, you know, his the 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 progression that he's made in his command and control. Um, I think the ERA isn't super concerning. Just in looking at college arms, um, I, I find it really hard to to get concerned about ERA just because with with how much the ball is flying now It feels nowadays. like everyone
0: but Skeens has like a four something ERA.
1: <laughs> right. So, like, I'm not going to really Bat an eye at a guy's ERA if it's a tick north of five, or unless it's, you know, kind of approaching double digits. I think that's a poor indicator on which to evaluate a pitcher just because there are so many factors like the defense behind him, yeah. you know, hits, errors that get scored a hit, metal bats, the balls. Like there are a lot of variables that go into that statistic. So I think in looking at Baumeister, Um, The ERA is of little concern. I'm encouraged by his ability to kind of hone in his control and command. And I think that that's a really good sign as he goes into his draft year and that teams are going to be encouraged by, because I think that's something that can only get better. And as mentioned with, you know, Sprout and Watts Brown, you've either kind of got command or you don't. And it seems like to an extent he's got it. So Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's a rare trait in today's game. And I think it's one that's going to be valued on, on, on day one of the draft.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get into another guy with just a really crazy riding fastball. And that is Kate Keeler at Campbell, uh, right-hand pitcher, who this year honestly looks like career best season for him, just in terms of results. The, the walk rate is 7.9%, which is a career best number. Um, you just talked about how ERA is not the best indicator moving forward, but He does have a 3.21 ERA, which I know Campbell specifically will enjoy. Um, 10 starts, 56 innings pitched. Um, And yeah, it's a 28% miss rate on the fastball that's sitting around 94 miles per hour. That's a pitch that in the past has been like 21 inches of induced vertical break, which is truly an elite number. Uh, I think it's got to be one of the better marks in the entire class for that. Um, He's throwing both his fastball and slider for strikes 70% of the time this year, which I think is a massive um, like positive indicator for him because entering the year. And I think even still there are starter reliever concerns with cooler. Um, There are some moving parts in the delivery. He can spray the ball at times in the past. He's, he's had a history of just walking too many pitchers and being inefficient with pitch counts. Um, But in terms of pure stuff, The fastball slider has been really impressive. Um, He also has thrown a number of secondary pitches, curveball, changeup. He's messed with a cutter. Uh, I think he's messed with a two-seam fastball. Um, But mostly it's been fastball, slider, curveball this spring, and it's been pretty solid. Where are you at on Kate Kuhler, Peter?
1: With Kuhler, I think in talking about reliever risk, I think that he is one of or maybe the most risky of the guys that we've talked about. As you mentioned, it's – he really sprays it's kind of he's an effectively wild arm which has played in his favor mm-hmm. um he's getting tons of misses with this fastball and a slider the fastball is is exceptional both in shape and velocity um it in watching video of him and then also seeing him live it it just teleports out of his hand into yeah. the into the catcher's mitt so i think that's really really impressive it's going to be a pitch that he gets swing and miss on throughout professional baseball but i kind of wonder you know, both with the fastball and the slider being, you know, the predominant offerings. Um, the slider also, it's interesting. It's kind of almost like a cutter um, mm-hmm. in watching it. It's got cutter shape. It's a shorter pitch. Um, it's super effective and get tons of swing and miss, but it's not that super sweepier two-plane break type slider we so often see. So Yeah,
0: I thought early on in the season, I was looking at just pitch characteristic changes year over year, and just on just the data that we had, the shape of the slider was quite a bit shorter this year than it was previously. I think in the past, at times, he had had a little bit more sweep, and I think he's shortened it up quite a bit, and I wonder if that has helped him throw that pitch for strikes a lot more because just the pure strike rate that he has with that pitch is is much better than it was in the past, and I do think there is some question of like, A lot of his miss is coming on chases out of the zone, and and I think pro hitters are going to be a little bit more disciplined, and he's going to have to just be in the zone more to get the miss that he's getting. Um, But I am encouraged with just that pitch shape and and the feel that he's shown this year. Um, But still, when you consistently get feedback from scouting, the scouting industry, that there's a lot of reliever risk, I think there's a real reason for that.
1: Yeah, and I think in looking at his delivery too, it's not like kind of the smooth, it doesn't have the smoothness of. Jawan, Rott's brown, J- Jawan <laughs> Watts Brown, um, it's not like super effortless. There isn't kind of a smoothness to it, I'd say. Or yeah, rhythmic.
0: it's this big overhand windup. It's got a big leg kick with some coil in the hip turn. Um, yeah, there yeah, are some moving parts for sure.
1: I was going to say it's a little bit like a checkpoint delivery in my mind. Like There are three distinct parts to it um, with, with Keeler as opposed to one kind of rhythmic fluid operation. Um, and so I think that's a little bit, uh, that'll add to a little bit of the risk that he brings and it just feels like in looking at him, it's a, it's a really finished product physically. And I think that just projecting him down the road, he seemed, I mean, I think that he'll be really effective in this role, but I think it's a two plus pitch guy, power arm in the back end of a bullpen, kind of a setup or a closer role where Mm -hmm. I think that the fastball could. Getting in the triple digits, um, be just as effective, and and he could kind of be a nails guy down in the back end of a bullpen. But he'll absolutely get a chance to start in mm-hmm. professional baseball with where he'll get drafted. So um, it'll be interesting to see how
0: he how he pans out. Absolutely. And I think probably most of the names that we have down here to talk about today, I would, I would imagine, or I'd be very surprised if they didn't get a chance to start in pro ball. And it's just more of a case of like, prove it, prove it that you can, you're going to get the opportunity with the draft capital that they're probably going to receive. Um, And then obviously pitchers will move into bullpen roles later on in their careers. If if they just can't cut it for whatever reason, as a starter. Uh, But what direction do you want to head next? We've touched on four players. There's one guy in here who I feel like was maybe pitching himself into that like very solid, reliable second round starter profile that a lot of teams would really like. Uh, but I'm curious what direction you're leaning next for a for next player.
1: I'd love to touch on that arm that you mentioned because I think I know who it is. It's Is it Hunter
0: Owen? It's not, but that's another good one. My my other one we'll get to after Hunter Owen, but let's touch on Hunter Owen because he is the lone left-handed pitcher of this group of righties <laughs> that we have today. Um, maybe the biggest helium player of this group in terms of preseason, where we had him on the board, and, and just where he's pitched himself to now. Um, He's a big hoss and he's performed this year. What are your thoughts on Owen? Although uh, hasn't pitched a ton lately, just dealing with some random things.
1: Yeah. So he's dealing with, I think what's just been described is general, general fatigue, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's missed the last couple of weekends. Um, I don't think that he's going to pitch this weekend either um but he has been vanderbilt he's been the best arm on a really really good team and a team that is a national championship contender um and he's done nothing but carve since arriving at vanderbilt um we talk about the i guess holes in this year's draft and it's kind of college catching and then to get a little more specific it's left-handed pitching especially at the collegiate level and In discussing some of the first lefties that are going to go off the board um it kind of comes down to i think hunter owen and sean sullivan for for collegiate guys and i think owen with what he's done at vanderbilt has the upper hand right now and it's he he's shown off three really effective pitches with his fastball curveball and slider two distinct breaking balls with his curveball and slider um and I I think that all he's done is boost his stock and the fastball's been impressive it's been up to 97 he'll sit comfortably in the in the low to mid 90s and as I mentioned, I think the two distinct breaking ball shapes is really valuable both in terms of projecting him as a starter and then also the results in which he's gotten the curveballs mm-hmm. uh it's a mid-70s pitch it's a slower it's a it's it's the slower of the two with really big shape and mm-hmm. kind of looping action it doesn't have the the sharpness to it that Baumeister has but the way that owen sequences his pitches and sequences his offerings um it gets hitters way out in front and he gets a lot of ugly sling he gets a lot of ugly swings with it and it's very effective against right-handed hitters which i think is super valuable as a lefty mm-hmm. uh, for him to have a valuable pitch against righties so um, his slider, he'll mainly use against lefties, um, kind of sweeping action. And then his fastball is a good pitch that he sequences well. So, yeah, uh,
0: and he's a, just a massive left-hander just in terms of pure physicality. I know some teams really like that, especially when you're looking at a pitcher that you want to start and be able to ha- handle the rigors of a major league or professional season, six foot six, 261 pounds. He started 10 games this spring, 3.16 ERA, 57 innings, 67 strikeouts. And I think the most impressive thing for him, outside of just the quality of the stuff that you're talking about, is just the command and control that he's shown. It was a 7% walk rate in 2022. It's still in that same range this year in 2023. He throws the fastball for strikes about 70% of the time. It really feels like his entire arsenal he has pretty good feel for. Um, And, I mean, it's four pitches that he can mix and match. Um, I I don't think there are a lot of huge red flags here outside of just whatever the medical concerns might be. And I felt like he was a guy who, if he finished the season strong, could push himself into that. Like like when I wrote that piece about 44 straight years of a college left-handed pitcher being drafted in the first round, Hunter Owen was like the number one candidate to kind of continue that streak. I don't know that I've heard a ton of first round buzz on his name now and, and not pitching recently certainly adds to that, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he really came out and performed loudly in the postseason and impressed some people, and you've got national guys and directors and GMs seeing this six foot six, 260 pound lefty who's carving batters, I, I don't think there's, I don't, it wouldn't shock me if he had uh, continued his ascendance up draft boards and, and went into the first round range. But right now, I think he's probably outside of that.
1: Right. And we talk about with guys, you know, using the the conference tournaments and the the regional play and super play and getting into Omaha to to strengthen their draft stock and really kind of make one last push up boards. And we saw it with Kate Horton. And in looking at guys that could kind of have a similar path, I don't think Owen or really anyone that we're talking about could, could go and, and squeak themselves into the top 10, even the top 20, really um when all is said and done but if Vanderbilt were to go to the College World Series and have an impressive showing in the SEC tournament with Hunter Owen kind of being the guy on the mound still um I think that there is a really I think there's the best chance of anyone that we mentioned Mm -hmm. um for him to go in the first round um that that's kind of my thinking and it's an interesting operation on the mound. I think it's a little deceptive. Um, he's got a shorter arm action. Um, his hand, it's its really good hand speed. And um, I, I think combining that with the advanced feel he has for all of his offerings makes for a really, really difficult at bat. And it's like with his slider and, and watching him, I was most impressed. It, it's clear he has good shape. It's clear he has good feel for his offerings because one, um, just the command of it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also too, it's like with the slider, he'll throw it against lefties and righties. Um, and against lefties, it's more of that kind of sweeping action, but against righties, he's able to back foot it and get a little bit more vertical on it. So yeah. it's like, it's clear he has knowledge of like what he's throwing, how to throw it, how to manipulate it. And yeah. and really just like, he knows how to pitch. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that again is a, is a valuable trait. So I hope that he gets healthy and, and, and rested up. And I, and I hope and think that they're just kind of holding him out until the SEC tournament and they make that push for Omaha.
0: Yeah. That'll be encouraging if he does, if he does pitch again and and pitch as well. I I don't think there's been any buzz that he's not going to pitch again, but correct me if I'm wrong there. The, um, the player that I was going to go to is a player who actually won't pitch again this season. And prior to kind of going down with an injury, I feel like he was extremely steady, i I've gotten a ton of feedback to go in the second round, and that's UCLA right-hander Alonzo Treadwell. In terms of performance and stuff, I think he's as solid as they come in this sort of second-round range, but his season was ended with back and rib injuries. That's going to add to a pretty lengthy medical for Treadwell, who was a guy who, in high school, um, he had Tommy John surgery, I think it was in 2020. Uh, And he didn't really pitch too much his junior or senior seasons in high school. I remember him being really difficult to pin down just in terms of our our draft rankings because everyone talked about how talented he was. He was a big player at the time. He was supposed to be one of the better pitchers in his draft class. Just no one ever really got to see him because of the injuries that he was dealing with. Um, He pitched really well in 2022 for UCLA, threw a ton of strikes in a reliever-only role, moved into a starting role this spring. Um, And it's just been solid. Nine starts, 3.57 ERA, 27.4% strikeout rate, 6.5% walk rate. Um, Just super steady. I mean, it's a four-pitch mix. Fastball in the low 90s that he throws for strikes 70% of the time. Good feel for a slider in the low 80s. He has a curveball that'll mix in as well that has 12-6, really impressive shape and depth. Um, I think the changeup is also solid. He doesn't use that pitch a ton, but... I think, and we've gotten feedback from scouts who think that it's a, just a very solid four pitch mix. Maybe not a single plus pitch in the bag, but it's a six foot seven right hander, six foot eight right hander who has great feel to throw all four of these pitches, mixes and matches well, fills up the zone, um, and just maybe he's that solid. If, if he didn't have this massive medical question mark, he would be that kind of steady eddy, solid back of the rotation profile. I'm really curious what teams are going to do with him now. And I guess there's probably a lot of unknowns in how we'll handle him on our side, just because that medical information, we're not going to get our hands on teams. will have to evaluate what that looks like, but man, I was bummed when his season ended because it was such a solid one.
1: Yeah. As you mentioned, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes and it would have been really interesting to see where he would have gone had he stayed healthy for the entirety of the season. Um, and I think that you're right in Going down with an injury is unfortunate for any anyone in the draft just because it kind of adds a little bit of a question mark to their ability to, to stay healthy and, and all of that stuff. But especially when you're a pitcher, and especially when you're a pitcher that already has a history of injury, it, it just adds to the risk of the the selection that you're making. Um, but as you mentioned with Treadwell, like you, you talk about guys when they walk off the bus and like he sticks out immediately at 6'8", 230. At least that's what he's listed at. Um the fastball and I think the curveball are his two best offerings. The fastball and talking with some UCLA hitters. Um, it was the best that they had seen on their staff and the best that they had, had faced in general. It's just like Ballmeister, it's an invisible. The yeah. velocity isn't like as premium as as Jackson's is, but it's low touching mid 90s, and it just disappears as it crosses the plate. It just flies right under the barrel of the hitter um it's really hard to pick up and then with this curveball it's a really sharp downer curveball i think it's got better shape than ballmeisters um the break is just as sharp if not sharper um and he'll throw it to both right and left-handed hitters so like it's tough to compare the two because they're extremely different body wise they're a little different like stuff wise but when you're talking Mm -hmm. about college right-handers like I mean, Treadwell, I, I, I'd i give the upper hand to him over someone like that. And then if he were able to stay healthy, I would have been really curious to see how teams viewed him versus Brandon Spro because with Treadwell, yeah, you get the polish of the strike throwing ability. You get the advanced feel for all of his offerings. You get kind of the more pitcher, less thrower type of guy. And maybe even like the safer pick, assuming he stayed healthy mm-hmm. um, and kind of being content with a potential three or four starter as opposed to betting on the ceiling. So really unfortunate he got injured. It, it it does hurt him a little bit, but it doesn't really take away from a lot that we've been saying. So there are no doubt going to be teams that still view him in this light. And I think if you can, if somehow he makes it out of day one, I think that you got to, that's someone that you have to go for really early on day two with your first pick.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he's handled. His total resume for college now is 92.1 innings with a 2.83 ERA. So when he's been on the field, he's been excellent. Um, I think with him, the biggest question is just how often are you going to be able to to get him on the field? The injury questions are concerning, but I think you're right. If, if you can kind of assume that he's going to be on the field, it's a really safe profile overall. Um, just how impressive the body control is and his ability to control those long levers and and fill up the zone is really what stands out to me about him. Um, and maybe one of the guys that I was warming on most before he got hurt. So that was a bummer. Um, yeah, but where do you right. head and, next, Peter? Where you, where oh, you I was going to say,
1: No, I was going to say, and this weekend with, uh, with Treadwell, it would have been an interesting opportunity for him to even kind of further his stock and boost it a little more because they've got uh, Arizona State and they've got a really good lineup. And it's honestly UCLA's kind of last... Hope for the postseason. So, um, seeing him against an impressive lineup would have been would have been fun to watch. Um, and then with with Treadwell, the one thing I did notice was, um, and I think this comes with being a member of the of the rotation. Instead, but the uh, opponents are hitting a little better off him uh, this year than they were last year. But again, in kind of studying the pitch usage and and pitch selection, um, I kind of came to the conclusion that it was just due to him being a starter as opposed to as opposed to a reliever, and it wasn't really anything that I had that had raised a red flag on
0: my end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a 195 average against him in 2022 out of a reliever role, uh, up to 259 this year. Um, OPS is probably the better the better number, 522 uh, in 2022 to 734 in 2023. Uh, but we have pitchers across the country that we could head. We could stay on the West Coast, we could go to the the center of the country, or we could go back to the East Coast. Peter, what uh, what direction do you want to head?
1: Oof. That's a good question. I think we could stay out west and talk about um, about Kiefer Lord a little bit if you want.
0: Yeah, that sounds good to me. Kiefer Lord, the Washington right-handed pitcher. He's been, I'd say early on, he was one of the bigger names on the west coast just with what he was doing. It's 12 starts, 4.03 ERA, 72 strikeouts to just 15 walks. It's a 25.6% strikeout rate to a 5.3% walk rate. Gotta like that walk rate there. And then Kiefer Lord also has some pretty exciting pure stuff. Um, from the right side as well. What are your thoughts on Lord? What do you like about him?
1: So I think with Lord, like in talking about reliever risk, there's absolutely some there. Um, He's been really fastball heavy, throws it almost three quarters of the time. Um, But recently he's mixed in, um, at least he's tried to mix in some breaking balls and they've flashed like big time potential, um, both with his curveball and slider. Like in my mind, I think there's plus potential with both um it's really good arm talent he's super projectable and athletic um he's got kind of a a high three quarters borderline straight over the top delivery like long slingy arm action i think with him like what's super appealing is the fact that how well he's performing in his really his first year to division one school yeah and he
0: transferred to washington uh after playing at division three carlton in minnesota prior to this season
1: yeah. And so you've kind of been able to see what he can do with, I think, proper development and access to power five resources and those, and that type of development and those types of resources are only going to be that much better once he gets into professional baseball. And there are some things to clean up with Lord, like you get a little bit more involved in the lower half and the mechanics are a whole other thing, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, with him, he's super, super intriguing because he's also very projectable. Um and the now stuff is pretty darn good, so um, he's going to be a risky pick. Uh, but I think that you're betting on the upside and betting on his ability to to progress as a starter. Um, if you're going to use a day one pick on him and kind of, you know, having faith in your in your player development, folks.
0: Yeah, I would like to see a team with a good track record of pitching development get their hands on on Kiefer because it does seem like just a lot of pure talent to work with as he kind of adds strength to that frame. As he maybe gets deeper into the pitch mix at the next level, it's 40% miss rate on both of his secondaries, both of his breaking balls that he's using, um, and it is probably one of the higher fastball usage rates of any of the guys that we'll talk about here today. I mean, it's it's almost Ty Floyd-ish from 2022. I don't know if I don't know if Ty Floyd had a. Is still rocking that 90% fastball rate that he was in 2023. I'd heard really positive things about the secondaries, but um, and not not to stop the conversation about Lord. If you wanted to talk about Kiefer Lord, so we can. But Ty Floyd is another guy who who just had a crazy fastball usage rate because it is such a good pitch. And and previously there were big question marks about the secondaries, but Floyd has been right in the mix uh, in the rotation with one of the best teams in the country this spring. Um, what are your thoughts on Ty Floyd?
1: I was gonna say it's too good of a segue to pass up on, so uh, we're yeah, gonna have to about tie Floyd it, either right? way. <laughs> this
0: is this is that that veteran podcast uh, transition you got to throw in there, right? I was
1: gonna say that was that was really impressive, but with Floyd again, <laughs> it's 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 a seventy percent fastball usage rate um, this year. Uh, I think he's an intriguing one because anytime you know you get a headliner, or in this case with LSU, you've got you know, multiple headliners, obviously with Cruz and Skeens, potentially going belly to belly at one and two this year um, for guys to get overshadowed. And I think that's what's happened with Ty Floyd a little bit because he's a really good arm talent. And I think that if it weren't for, I think the additions that LSU made and they were great additions and I'm not saying, you know, any of that should have changed, but I think that at almost any other school in the country, Um, he'd be a Friday night headline starter Mm -hmm. and probably getting a little bit more day one interest than he is now. And teams might be able to see, actually teams definitely be able to see past that. And they might view him a little higher than, you know, the rankings may suggest. And they kind of have him as a sneaky, like end of the second round type arm, early third round type arm. But as you mentioned, fastball usage is really high at 70%. Um, I like the pitch shape a lot. It's an effective pitch. It's a relatively mm-hmm. low effort delivery, kind of similar to Lord. Like, you know, it, 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 he's got a bit of a cleaner delivery. Um, he moves well on the mound. The changeup is flash plus. It's got a ton of fade to the arm side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's also got a plus secondary pitch that, um, or not, I'm, I won't call it a plus secondary pitch, but he's got an effective secondary pitch in his curveball. Um, again, kind of talking about the curveballs that we've mentioned, it's, it's a pretty big pitch. Um, it doesn't have the, I think, sharpness or 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 adequate or or depth that compares with a Ballmeister or mm-hmm. a Treadwell. Um, but it's still an effective one. And then delivery, it's a it's a very easy operation. So yeah, he um, was
0: he was fascinating a year ago because it was an 81% fastball usage, and there are real questions about just his feel for spin overall. Was he going to be a guy who was just always this one-pitch pitcher? The fact that the changeup has becoming a reliable offering for him is is helpful, but I don't think it's going to like end any of the questions about his feel for spin. And I know there are teams who certainly prioritize ability to spin a breaking ball because you just don't see a lot of fastball changeup starters in the pro game. Those those profiles are, are pretty outlier types um, to have success. So I am curious to see – like how his breaking ball development um, happens at the next level. If if he's maybe a candidate to add a cutter uh, or if he just changes the shape of his breaking ball or what happens with that. But I do love the fastball itself. It's like 19 inches of induced vertical break. Um, gets a ton of swing and miss with that pitch up at the zone. This spring, it's a 27% miss rate, which is pretty good for a fastball. Um, so yeah, he's an interesting one. I like the body. I like the delivery. I like a lot of things about Ty Floyd, but I think the obvious question mark with him is just how reliable are those secondaries going to be. And I guess he's not a guy who's really ever shown great command and control more like solid. Uh, And I guess you could nitpick him there too, if you wanted.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I think command wise, he's more solid to the arm side and watching him. Um, Mm -hmm. And then as you mentioned with the fastball, like at times it, it really, really explodes out of his hand and gets on the hitter and pretty easily too. There's not a lot of, I, I think it's a lower maintenance operation, which, you know, there's value in that. And I think as far as breaking balls go, um, I think he's tried out a slider at times. Um, the curveball has been his like quote unquote go-to breaking ball, even though the usage is so low,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: I think that's what you try and develop at the next level because it has shown that shape. Um, it has shown the ability to get swing and miss. And then obviously you pair that with a changeup that I think is actually flash plus at times this year. It's got a ton of fade. Um, it's really effective against left-handed hitters. So I think that he's a little bit of a work in progress in terms of polish and shoring him up as a rotation arm. But again, as you mentioned, in the right system and a system that's really good at developing arms, I think that's a really appealing option at, at some point, maybe early on day three, or you know, if you're a believer in his ability to. Develop that feel for spin and continue to progress with this changeup. I think that's something you could reach for at the end of day two or day one, excuse me.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's move on to a South Carolina right hander. Uh, let's get into Will Sanders, who I think we currently have right outside or right at the back of the first round. And I imagine we'll be a little bit lower on our next update uh, because Will just has kind of had a painful season. It's 11 starts, 5.75 ERA, 56.1 innings, 66 Ks, 24 walks. Um, so it's a 26% strikeout rate, 9.5% walk rate. But I feel like with Sanders, the question has always been just like, what is the life on the fastball? How are you going to avoid barrels? And is it the home run, the home run rate that he allows, like is it, is it just something that he maybe struggled with previous two years? not really it's a it's a concern this year as well obviously the college offensive environment is something to note but I think he's always been a guy who's just given up a lot more contact than you'd expect for the pure stuff that he has fastball that's regularly in the mid 90s gets into the upper 90s um, but it doesn't have a ton of miss whatever the opposite of an invisible fastball is I think Will Sanders probably has that now Um, I think maybe he's a guy who will have to experiment with like a two seam just to add a little bit of running life to get off the barrel of bats at the next level. But he's been a conundrum. I think he has a lot of really impressive natural arm talent. He's flashed a breaking ball. He's flashed a change up. um, But has never really just had the results that you want to see for a guy who's just as physical and has the sort of velocity that Will Sanders does have. I mean, it's probably not a surprise given how I've teed him up and maybe I've been a little overly critical of Will, but I'm really skeptical of this profile. Uh, and I think in his platform year, he hasn't really answered the questions that you wanted him to answer. So what are our thoughts on Will Sanders? Do you think he's a guy who's like fits in that second round or does he have a chance to maybe get back to the first up or, or even later?
1: Uh, so like in talking about like ride, personally have him, I don't, I, I wouldn't take him in the first round. I'd, I'd maybe consider him in the second. But, like, just personally, he's a guy that I'm not super high on, and I don't want to, you know, go after anyone too hard. But as you mentioned, the fastball is really, you know, it's a it's a it's, beach ball. <laughs> I don't. I was going to say, I don't want to miss where it's just not a good pitch right now. The batting average against is 340. Batting average on balls in play is 398. Um, it's just a barrel finder. Um, it yeah. it consistently gets hit. The velo's been down as of recent. Um, he's dealing with an injury right now. I think the secondary stuff is pretty good. Um, I, I was watching him against Florida, and I think that you know the curveball and the slider both looks like plus pitches. But I mean, he's got to be able to have have some sort of fastball that misses bats because guys are just going to sit back on the secondary stuff and mm-hmm. and start to adjust. And I think you brought up a great point with maybe adding a two-seamer. Literally anything that adds life to it, whatever feels good coming out of his hand that adds a little bit of run Mm -hmm. or a little bit of cut, whatever it ends up being, like, he's got to add because the fastball right now is not, uh, like, thinking now if it's getting hit as hard as it is collegiately, um, and, yes, they're using metal and all that, but the hitters get a lot better. uh, So, needless to say, as you get into Mm -hmm. professional baseball, like, you know, there is no real weak link in any professional teams lineup, kind of looking at it broadly, like for a college arm to when they're making that adjustment. So Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the fastball is a real concern. It's gotten hit really his whole career, Uh, especially this year in his draft year. There hasn't been like a huge leap forward. There's arguably been a little bit of a regression. Yeah. Um, And so I, 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 I don't think that a team's going to use their first-round pick on it, and I think that some teams already have him written off as a set, uh, off in terms of day one in general.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's 1,100 ops against the fastball this year. Seven of the 10 home runs that he's allowed have come against the fastball. I think with his height, um, there's a chance that maybe you get more more of that two seam work at the bottom of the zone. Maybe try and get some more balls on the ground because in 2021 and 2022, he had a ground ball rate around 50%, which Theoretically, should help him avoid avoid those home runs. Even though the home run to fly ball rate was still pretty high for him, this year he's allowing forty percent of his his balls in play in the air, um, or I should say fly balls, twenty one percent line drives, which is pretty high as well. I just think there are a lot of questions about just the the overall life to the pitch, um, and I guess I'm curious to see if he does go to a two seam in the future, if he does add a cutter, um, anything to get off the the barrel of the ball, but. Will Sanders, a guy who I had hopes for moving into the year, just given the size, given the physicality, given the arm talent, but not trending in the right direction as of right now. Um, he's also playing for a really strong team, so he should have a chance to maybe come back and show some things and, and give a little more hope in, in what he can do to end out the year. But uh, I think just after having this conversation, it feels like Will Sanders is one of the uh, the lowest guys we're on in this range here, Peter. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and we saw it as well with the, um, with the staff draft that will also be out by the time that you know, you're listening to this. We saw it in our staff draft where a lot of us passed up on him until kind of the equivalent of the second round range. So mm-hmm. uh, we're far from the decision makers in the draft room, but uh, it, it's, it is interesting for teams. <laughs> to, to see him fall. So uh, it'll be even more interesting in July.
0: Absolutely. Well, we've got one more name that I had written down, and that certainly doesn't mean we can't talk about others, but this guy is going to be fascinating for pretty much the opposite reason uh, as Alonzo Treadwell, because he really missed most of the year with injury, and it's just now coming back. That's Texas right-hander Tanner Witt. He has thrown three games, I believe, as we have this conversation. Uh, It was a couple, or not even a couple, 0.2 innings against Texas Christian at the start of May, one inning against Kansas, and then His most extended outing of the spring so far is three innings against San Jose State. He hasn't thrown more than 40 pitches in a single outing, although his first two inning sub-inning outings were 31 and 23 pitches, which is not ideal. It has not looked great so far for Tanner Witt, but he's coming back from injury, uh, and I would expect him to maybe have a little bit of rust before he kind of gets into his groove. This is a player who ranked... Top 100 coming out of high school in the 2020 draft class. He was a two-way player at the time. Scouts really loved the upside on the mound. Um, he had struggled with the control. And then for a very brief time in 2022, it looked like he was just spotting up. It looked like he was about to have a breakout year, um, was scratched for elbow tenderness, and then eventually had Tommy John surgery after just 11 innings. And he's kind of been the big unknown and the big question mark in this draft class for a long time. Uh, and the next few months are going to be pretty critical for him in terms of where he's going to fall on draft boards. But have you seen much of Witt so far, Peter, and what do you think? So far it's been 90, 94 fastball using a mid-70s downer curveball and a uh, low 80s changeup. It seems like with all those pitches he's still trying to just just get the feel back. But what are your thoughts on Tanner Witt?
1: Yeah, so with Witt this year in 2023 – I'm going to cut him a lot of slack given that he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. He recovered mm-hmm. in a pretty quick amount of time. Um, and he's just now coming back and getting the feel for his pitches. And so mm-hmm. I'm not going to make any snap judgments on the results so far. I think he's a guy that will a really benefit from making a starter to a couple of quality starts or two in the postseason, And then also he's slated to throw on the Cape this summer.
0: Yeah. Um, big.
1: And I think that that'll be really big for him, both in the talent that he'll face and a chance to, you know, make three or four, perhaps five starts leading up to the draft and kind of get back to that 2022 Tanner wit. And as you mentioned, the 2022 Tanner wit was really freaking good and yeah. got off a plus breaking ball. Um, fastball looked good. He had field to spin. Um, and then I thought the changeup looked good. So, I mean, you're talking about now two plus pitches, the fastball was had premium velocity Um, And then in talking about the intangibles, I love the compete that he brings. It's clear he's got uh, a really good mentality on the mound and is a good makeup type kid. So getting back to that 2022 Tanner Wood as the draft approaches, I think, will be key in terms of where exactly he's selected. But, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, I, I think that he's probably a starter at the next level um the upside is there it's a really good body uh he moves well he's a good athlete i mean he was a two-way player coming out of high school where he's a shortstop and, Mm and he can handle the bat a little bit so um the i think what he does in the next month and a half will be a determining factor in whether he goes perhaps right after the first round or kind of more in the middle of the second
0: yeah, he, he maybe is the most interesting player to watch over the next few weeks and months as we get to the close of the college season. You mentioned the body. I think it's a pretty elite pitching frame, six foot five, two 215 pounds, just like lean and powerful. Um, I really love it. I don't necessarily love the delivery. I think the arm action is a bit lengthy. There's some head whack. Um, I also noticed like early in, or in these starts that he's had so far this spring, the arm slowed a little bit on the secondaries, which was a bit of a concern to me. But he also is still getting a lot of swing and miss on both his curveball and his changeup. Um, so I think the pitches have always really played. And as he gets more feel, I think the strike rate is going to come up. Would be curious to see what the velocity settles into as he gets further away from the surgery. Um, but yeah, he he's a fascinating pitcher because I think all the talent is there. The frame is there. He's flashed it at times and just hasn't really consistently been able to get on the mound and prove it. And I think that's what these next two months for him will be. Like, what is he going to show the industry? Where are they going to line him up with all these names we've talked about in today's podcast? Um, it really wouldn't shock me if he was wound up being at the top of this list. It wouldn't shock me if he he just never really found it in time uh, before the draft and, and wound up more towards the bottom. But he's, he's going to be really interesting and... I maybe have the least amount of feel for wit of, of any of these players we've talked about. And I think that probably is true for the industry, just given the amount of time they've, they've not been able to see him. So,
1: yeah. And and with the breaking ball, and this, this just goes with getting the feel back, but the breaking ball hasn't been as sharp um, in terms of its movement. Um, it's, it still had that big shape, but last year kind of had that hellacious Bite. sharp downward yeah. break. Um, so I think that's all about just getting his feel back, but it's going to be, he's an interesting case because you really don't know how he's going to progress. And so I think the key as, as we've both mentioned is just going to be how productive these next couple of months are in the lead up to the draft, because he could be the first, as, as you said, I mean, he could be the first pitcher selected after that quartet of guys at the top, or he could be, you know, more of a, a middle of the pack guy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I think he's firmly in day one.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, those are the names that I had down, Peter. If there are any other guys that I left out that you want to mention here before we wrap up, feel free. But um, I would say question mark on the second tier college pitching is, is kind of the, the feeling that I have for this year's draft class and still a lot of opportunity to kind of just take the reins and establish yourself as the, the top guy in this group. So um, it's not over for, for anyone in this group outside of Treadwell. Um, still a lot of things that that can be done to improve stock, but a lot of questions for this group, a lot of interesting players, a lot of interesting pitches. Um, but really everyone in here that we've mentioned has some warts, which is, I guess probably the reason that, that they're not in that, that top quartet of pitchers that we have in the first round.
1: Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. I think that teams picking after the first 25 or so picks could go in a number of different directions in terms of the pitchers that they and wind up selecting, especially in the college rank. So you could kind of shuffle these guys any which way it, to an extent. And and that conceivably could be the order in which they're selected on draft day. So I think that's what makes it so much fun. It makes it um, a, a really in- interesting
0: to follow. And, and it also is the reason we don't do second round mock drafts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very true.
0: So with that, uh, that's all I had for today, Peter, anything you want to plug before we get out of here?
1: No, just, uh, BA staff draft 2.0 just dropped. Um, I, there were a lot of interesting and fun picks made. Uh, you can catch that on BaseballAmerica.com. really again, as per usual, anything you want to look at or anything you want to find is over there from MLB all the way down through high school and in college and amateur baseball. So subscribe to that subscribe to baseball America, wherever you get your part, your podcasts and, um, Yeah. Thank you for the support. It allows us to do what we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well said as always, Peter, Uh, thank you guys for listening and following us throughout this this entire podcast. We'll be back next week with more draft talk. Um, If you have any questions you guys want us to tackle on the draft, feel free to send them to us um, on Twitter. Uh, Peter's at Peter G Flaherty and I'm at Carlos a Colazo on Twitter. Um, So you can send those that way our way. If you, if you have any questions you want us to tackle. Um, But yeah, thank you guys for listening for Peter. I'm Carlos. So long, everybody.